Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 136 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I continue to be your co-host, Mark Blankenship, and continuing to inspire me every day is my co-host, Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. Um, speaking of ridiculous thoughts, thank you. Hello, Mark. <laughs> oh, spoiler. Oh, so, Sarah, spoiler. I believe I believe we've got... I was about to use a British accent to say this. I believe we've got a wee bit of the Irish coming on the podcast today. What could you tell us about that? And I don't just mean our guest. I don't just mean our guest. Oh, he's an Irishman. Anyway, Sarah has his own sound drop. Hold, please. Hello, Joe. What do you know? Yes, indeed. We are joined once again. By Joe Reed. Hello, Joe. Hey, guys. I'm very excited to talk about this what song What do today. you know? What don't I know? So many things that- I can't even begin. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me back up and explain what we're talking about today. Uh, listener Joanna P. asked uh, years ago, I suspect, at this point. So <laughs> once again, I would like to reassure listeners who have made suggestions for songs for us to cover that we do write them all down we keep them in a little list i've seen the list you guys it is vast giant it's a giant list and we're going to try to get to everyone eventually um so yes stay tuned for episode 312 (laughs) if you uh just submitted a suggestion but today uh joanna p asked us um to pick any cranberry song from the first two albums and i feel like mark you made this selection fairly quickly and authoritatively and i definitely signed on to it but can you talk a little bit about the cranberries ridiculous thoughts and why you wanted us to have ridiculous thoughts in the group yes uh so if i'm remembering correctly i think joe you looked at the list and then like gave three possibilities off the list of listener requests and then cranberries was on there is that how yeah there were a couple different suggestions and definitely any cranberries jumped out to me for reasons that i will certainly get into as we discuss the no need to argue era of the cranberries for sure so then when i was thinking about the cranberries i was thinking about how from a broad perspective there are essentially two types of cranberry songs there's wistful cranberries and ass-kicking yeah. cranberries. And wistful cranberries is the section of their catalog that is the perfect underscore for any road trip scene in any movie. Uh, Dreams by the Cranberries is perhaps the single best song for a road trip scene that's ever been written. Uh, but I didn't want to talk about that because... I don't know. I have always just in my solar plexus responded more strongly to the ass kicking side of the. You can save Zombie. you can save the dreams discussion for when you do the track by track boys on the side soundtrack episode, which That's you will right. have me on for it's, because I'm ready. Or my so called life's um, alternative soundtrack, yes. which I spent many an hour back in the nineties um, record duplicating on tape to tape, of course, and cutting out little. Um, 
uh, track listing inserts that I had Xeroxed and mailing them all around. Oh my God. You were quite country. the industrious oh, super tape maker. I love it. Yes. Well, it was. Sarah, here's what I will say. You're so beautiful. It hurts <laughs> to look at you. Yes. <laughs> Squeeze my hand. And as just hard imagine. As it hurts. <laughs> you were the only one I wanted to talk to. <laughs> you guys, what is this podcast is about to change? Because I now have to get really pissed off about Hallie Lowenthal. Oh. I'm still mad at her 25 That's, years later. I loved her. That shit's on Graham. Come on. You want to Okay, sure. Yes, but I just found her to be very screechy. Yeah, she was pretty screechy. She just wanted to open she, a I restaurant, mean, you guys. Team Patty. <laughs> Always Team Patty. Of course. Of course, Team Patty. <laughs> oh, but, okay. Okay. <laughs> I may I may bring up other MSCL-related topics throughout the afternoon, and I welcome that from both of you. But uh, the reason I chose Ridiculous Thoughts is that in the hardcore, so to speak, section of the Cranberries catalog, you have songs like Zombie, Salvation, Yates' Grave, but I have always had an a particular affinity for ridiculous thoughts, not because of the lyrics, which to be quite honest, until I started researching this episode, I had never really understood. I now realize with startling clarity. I'm not sure I do understand them. So I'm pretty excited to talk to you guys because they're very um, narrow. Oh, oh, I don't mean I didn't understand their meaning. I mean, I didn't understand the words (laughs) that she was saying. Gotcha. (laughs) Because her accent is so thick thick. And it's so true. unrepentantly Dolo. Irish that I was just like, Bob. But the sound of this song, regardless of its sonic illegibility, <laughs> is very exciting to me. And I think it now would be a great time to hear a clip. I agree. So I will say I selected that clip just because it highlights the inimitable timbre of the late Dolores O'Riordan's voice. And I could hear her voice making any loud, high sound at all in any context and be delighted. And I have always especially loved Ridiculous Thoughts because over that rollicking drumline and amazing general aural bed, you've got her just shrieking. And I like it a lot. What do you guys think? Uh, I will say that this is a very Dolores 
vocal, um, yeah. which is not going to be a good thing necessarily for every listener, but to me it is. Um, I have always had a fondness for the Cranberries that's like, I guess a little bit meta because it's the first concert that I went to by myself. Like I oh. couldn't find anybody else who cared. Ah, So I went to see them at not brownies, but like one of those downtown rock clubs that isn't anymore. Yeah. Um, and it was the summer of 93, I'm going to say. And I was just sort of like, you know, milling around and I wound up talking to this guy and it was a good show. And then I, you know, went home by myself and it was sort of, um, like a, it was an insight for me. Like it was a um, revelation that it's like, oh, this is a different experience to hear any music, but particularly this music when you're just by yourself and you're not like in a social space with people that you know. So there's that. Um, I also like the familiarity of this sound that brings me back to a time when uh, I had, I think, graduated from college, but my then boyfriend was still there. So the mixtapes were flying. Across mm. the state of New Jersey. Um, and I am interested to hear what everyone else thinks is going on in this song. Because I was put, for reasons that I'll get into later, um, possibly incorrectly, into this, like, two in the morning, um, too drunk to be having this conversation <laughs> with yeah. yourself about how unworthy you are. Red wine, spinny, self-loathing place that she's sort of struggling to get out of but then lyrically it's like well maybe she's talking about that and maybe she just you know <laughs> who knows what yeah. she's talking about which i think is one of the beauties um of this song but it it definitely locates me both at a specific time of my own life and a, what i think is a specific moment in her life so i think it's very effective and also Good to roll the windows down and yell along to. Yeah. On your, um, like post breakup road trip. Joe. Yes. I feel thoughts? like, I mean, talking about the Cranberries is very interesting to me because they were very much my, if not my very first favorite band, like one of my first favorite bands. That And that's sort of yeah. that band that you feel like you take ownership of. But when, when you're at that, because it was, I was, what, 13, 14. So like that's when you start sort of going from, oh, I like this song on the radio to, Oh, this band, this is my band. They were the only uh, band t-shirt I ever owned. I was never really like, I was never, I've always been more of a movie guy than a music guy. And I think I've talked about that before. Um, but like, this was the band t-shirt that I owned. This was, I never actually did see them in concert because I think I was similar to you, Sarah. I didn't really have, I didn't experience the Cranberries socially with my friends then. It was very much like right. this was my band. I listened to them. On my own, but I will I will say, <laughs> as uh, the other um, person on this uh, particular episode with siblings, surely you experienced singing the words to linger to one another before and after farts. <laughs> <laughs> and well, now if I you truly did not, I had. <laughs> please tell me, my brothers. For someone with a very deep baritone, his um, Dolores imitation is really something. Do, do you have to let it linger? It's like, yes, I do. <laughs> that's we are five. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. Um, but No Need to Argue in particular was like the album that did it for me. That was the one that I sort of listened to it from beginning to end. And Zombie still is like in the 
top echelon for me, but everything else on that album, if I listened to it, it would probably bring me back to that space. I think you're right, Mark, when you talk about the sort of like atmospheric songs, the sort of, you know, Ode to My Family and um, mm, My Mother. Empty, which I think is just sort of just like Dolores singing in a high pitch for two minutes. Um, and Ridiculous Thoughts is on the other end of that spectrum, which is. You're right. You're waiting that whole song for her to like break out into that wail, sort of like you are in Zombie, because Zombie does start off a little bit like quietly and like builds up, and then all of a sudden it's just like Ireland is in turmoil, and it's just like bra everywhere, and it's and it's amazing. Oh, so good. It's the other thing, Joe. Did I don't know if you um I don't know if this happened to you when you would listen to No Need to Argue because I completing the trifecta also liked this band in isolation and loved these first two albums so much and i love that ridiculous thoughts on no need to argue was followed by dreaming my dreams which is such a perfect counterpoint like it's the soft wispy song that you need right after that and i just remember thinking that that two-pack yeah no it's absolutely true and it's funny that you mentioned how like there's no way to hide the irish in her voice which is very i remember that specifically because up until then, I was I used to be fascinated as a kid by British singers who sounded American. How like yes. you would find right. out that like Sting or Phil Collins or whoever Elton John, when they sang, they all sounded to me American. And then you would hear them speak, and I was just like, wait, what? What's going on? And down to like, remember that movie, The Commitments, that was very popular in the early nineties. Oh yes. And oh was, sure. Like, was an Irish band that all sounded like American, sort of like I'm black soul and singers. I'm proud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so I feel like that was almost like the trend at the time, and to hear Dolores sort of like jump out and be so incredibly like you couldn't couldn't tamp it down if you wanted to, and that sort of opened the door for me too. I, I f- always feel like Dolores was my gateway drug to Shirley Manson because I feel like Shirley was. A little bit. Uh She was free to be sort of funnier and more outrageous and more sort of like, you know, a little bit of a twinkle in her eye. And that was definitely like a door that needed to be opened for me. So I was very happy. And I wonder how much of that is a sort of not hangover, but just like a very long sustaining holdover from the Rolling Stones and contemporaries of theirs like um, the Hollies, maybe? Yeah. Who were definitely borrowing heavily from an American and specifically African American soul R and B sound and incorporating mm. it into their Yeah. Rock the Who and roll. I think was and sort of like that too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I think that to sound British, you know, then there's the then there's sort of like the new wave and new row, which did sound very Yeah. British, but not necessarily in the um, vocalizing. But yeah, that she can sound extremely Irish in an O yeah. is really, really something. Yeah. You know, if I may, this this is something that I've been thinking about almost as long as I've been listening to their music. And it, the question always in my mind was, why do I find Dolores O'Riordan's Irish politics so engaging and Bono's Irish politics so exhausting? And I'm thinking about it now, and I think it's because I feel like that Dolores O'Riordan's lyrics and her overall approach is less about telling me what's wrong and how the world needs to fix it, and more about just being furious about it and not knowing what to do. And there's something about that frustration that's much more 
relatable to me, much more uh, uh, emotionally impactful than Bono's whole patina of I will be the UN global ambassador to all problems. Well, did you so that's f- not necessarily true of early U2, I realize, but by the time that U2 was releasing music when the Cranberries were releasing music, Bono had definitely pivoted uh, yeah. to more of a global healer and Dolores O'Riordan was there just being furious and loud, and that always affected yeah. me more. Well, and not to take anything away from Bono's global accomplishments, um, because we couldn't if we tried, mm-hmm. um, and his, you know, tiresomely groovy blue sunglasses. Um, <laughs> like, Bono was great, just ask him. Just kidding. I've never heard anything except that he was, like, basically, given that it's Bono, a fairly normal guy but there always was even in the 80s this sense that you were being impatiently bono splained yeah yeah about issues of um irish uk politics uh that he would do that um (laughs) trebeking of um South African uh, no, names. Hawaii. Oh, yes. I know exactly Hawaii. what you're talking about. It's paprikash. Like, s- yes. Settle down. Yes. Um, totally. Yeah. That, uh, and then he's like... Mandela. Yes. Mandela. When like, he inducted oh, okay. uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it was a lot oh, of God. Jamaican accenting going on that I did not feel like was appropriate. <laughs> I mean, and if they're not going to clock Bono for it, then I guess... <laughs> right. It's okay, but there was definitely, it's not that his fury was ersatz. Right. It was real, but there definitely was this, like, oh, you tiresome Americans who don't know anything, which, like, okay, fair, that's a fair clock. Yeah, I was going to say, can't can't argue with that. It's not necessarily all that enjoyable to be screamed at by someone in ill-fitting leather pants about how little I know about what's going on in Belfast. Not to take like, us I'm too try- far. I go to all these Daniel Day-Lewis movies. Right. What do you want from me? I'm I saw The Boxer. <laughs> <laughs> Not- Goodbye, I sat through and I watched the parts of In the Name of the Father that Emma Thompson right, wasn't even right, in. Exactly. So- Not to take us too far afield in the, in the Bono tangent, but just before we move off the subject, have any of you seen the JT Leroy documentary from a couple years ago? Yeah. So that there's a story in that about how... Um, <laughs> the person who was sort of portraying JT Leroy when, when she would get into these sort of party atmospheres. And there was a story about like Bono sort of taking her aside and sort of explaining a little bit of like the ins and outs of just like, these are the people to watch out for. These are the people to like, you know, sort of, you know, trust, you know, keep your circle close and, and, you know, hold on to, you know, the person you are. And it was interesting. And that made me feel very sort of like positively towards him because not every celebrity comes across as well, I will say, in these stories about JT Leroy and the sort of the way in that, fact, that his fame yeah, was glommed onto. It's been a couple hmm. years since I saw it. Um, and I had planned to do a, um, showdown on previously.tv uh that was like a four-way showdown amongst the documentary and the plural law and orders of various franchises that riffed on the idea i think all three of them did a I believe Heather Matarazzo stars yes. in the one on mothership and it's about a writer named Sweetie yes. oh sweetie and 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 Joe, our patron saint Vivica <gasps> A. Fox is in that episode Amazing. too, it's... because she is a former prostitute turned high-powered lawyer yes. who ends up being murderous. Whoa! Wow! 
That's amazing. The number of ways that Vivica Fox inserts herself into my heart. Yeah. Like when she's fucking <laughs> reading Brandon fucking Walsh for filth in season two of Beverly Hills. Oh, I, know, I forgot about that. Speaking of far afield, you can't even see Bono from here, never mind the cranberries. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. uh, my point was that based on that story, which I totally forgotten about from the documentary, I think he might be the only celebrity that doesn't end up looking like a complete stooge. Yeah. Which Boy. is certainly yeah. better than Gus Van Sant comes off in that movie. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to the subject fact that all, <laughs> that all three of us, I, th- I just think it's fascinating that all three of us loved the cranberries alone. Yeah. I mean, my it, friends at I, the time were all straight yeah. boys. I went to an all boys Catholic high school. So like, I my my love for the cranberries stayed my own. My love for Tori was mine. My love for Alanis was mine. Like all of that stuff felt very much like I was not about to share that with my my brethren at the time. Well, and I was surrounded well, and- by people who were definitely into this style of indie rock. But I think that people found her voice. Like there are some people who just find her voice uninviting, right? Let's say and. um I think a past guest and our great good friend John Ramos like would have gone to this show with me, but couldn't for some reason, probably because he was Mm -hmm. off being a bridge champion somewhere, which is legit. But uh, yeah, it was just one of those things where I kind of felt like, well, this is just me, but like, I really want to see this show and the tickets were not expensive. Like this was right before. Yeah. Getting to see them at the, at a club would be pretty cool pretty cool to be able yeah to yeah and it was like just them there wasn't even like they weren't opening and they weren't the yeah. headliner it was like just them that's great wow so, yeah now that's you know that's a club show when it's just yeah them. and then it was you know they were t- i think i did have a band shirt also yeah for a while and it nice. was a pretty sweet shirt i i missed that guy that in my um that in my luna iron on <laughs> those were the so days in in the summer of 1995, I went to a program called the Governor School for the Humanities, and I spent the summer living in a dorm room on a campus of the University of Tennessee. And not only was this a period of my life when I started to meet lots of other people who already knew all of Tori Amos's <laughs> songs and Ani DeFranco's songs, and you know, there's a great awakening for me in that way, but there was also this little record store near the campus that would sell you for, I think, like 50 cents each the outdated window cards that they got advertising new albums, like those square, like those perfectly square window cards. So I remember I spent $5 on a huge stack of them to decorate the dorm room that I was living in that summer. Oh my God. And one of them absolutely was the no need to argue window card, because I can remember staring at that floor, the the floorboard that 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 couches on where you can see the ends of it. Yes. Yes. And I just, I, I can remember looking at that a lot. And I um, ended up taking some of those with me back to my uh, actual room and putting them up in the closet in my room. And that awesome. was one of them. Um, I I took, uh, what was another one? I think the, I think the, the, the Better Than Ezra album might have oh been one God. of those. <laughs> That's amazing. We were better than Ezra, but, it turned out. <laughs> yeah, um, another thing that I, this conversation is reminding me of is Joe and I both being roughly the same age, but I think Sarah, possibly you too, perhaps we were all of an age where we didn't quite realize at the time how remarkable it was that there was an endless stream of interesting female rock musicians yeah. 
releasing music. Like I didn't know that that wasn't how it was had always. I didn't know that it hadn't always been that way, and I certainly didn't comprehend that it would never be like that again. But you know, you talk about Shirley Manson, Tori Amos, Ani DeFranco, P.J. Harvey, Liz um, Fair. Liz Fair, Indigo Girls doing a different type of rock, but yep. still doing it. Melissa Etheridge, Katie Lang. Like, you have a, re- like, there's an enormous amount of music that's this amazing, vast array of rock music by women. Cheryl Crow. Even more like Flash in the Pan time. people, like Tracy Bonham or like, or oh, like, yes. Poe, Heather like, Nova. Just, there's a lot of really cool ones. Yeah. Poe, Heather yeah. Nova, um, Mark's favorite, Jewel. Jewel. I mean, every story needs a villain, <laughs> and we had a great one. <laughs> wow, amazing. Oh, my God. Y'all, the tags on this, <laughs> the tags on this episode <laughs> are really going to be a Well, to a give you one more, did, it, did either of you two watch the music video for this in prep for this podcast? Oh, yes. shit. Talk about every story oh needs a fucking God. villain. There's like a story to that where like, because Samuel Bayer, who had directed like the zombie video and was a big director at the time, I think he did Sm- Smells Like Teen Spirit. I think he that was his. He did. He did a yeah. lot. Of, that was back when like MTV and VH1 would have the little like credits in the corner when they would start a music video. Yeah. So I was very much trained <laughs> yes. on who directed what videos back then. Yes. D-I-R yep. colon yeah. Samuel Bayer. So he, yep. and it was this, so the concept for this is very this vague sort of like circus sideshow, like traveling show kind of a thing. And then Elijah Wood, who at this time would have been just off of like the Good Son era, like Elijah Wood. So like still like little, like this was, okay, so North that like famously hated, like the movie that Roger Ebert hated so much was the same year as No Need to Argue. So like that era of Elijah Wood was this like kid with like, uh, recording equipment, like following the band or sort of like chasing them around or something. That's very sort of vague, but very Samuel Bayer. And that it was like washed out uh, visuals and sort of like sort of creepy, but you don't really know why. And apparently the band saw the video that he shot and were just like, we don't get it. We don't, we don't get the concept. <laughs> we don't get whatever. And so then they had like all that concert footage that you see in the video, like inserted into it to sort of like break up this sort of story that they didn't quite understand. So it's this two very like not mixing together strands of a video. I don't think I realized that that was Elijah Wood, actual Elijah Wood. Well, because it's very fast cuts. Like that's his style. This is the love child of Elijah Wood and David Silver running around (laughs) in the desert. Why? (laughs) But it it is actually Elijah Wood, and it, it is so perfectly Samuel Bayer, and therefore so perfectly '90s rock video because it's fast cuts, and there are a lot of cuts of him gripping his head in some sort of anguish. Like there's just a lot of like cutaways to anguish in yeah. this period, and you don't really understand why. And at one point, he's got an old fashioned gramophone that he's like curled up next to asleep, <laughs> and. And you're also so right that the two halves of the video do not make any sense because then in the performance footage you have Dolores O'Riordan dressed in a an American flag jumpsuit. Yes, yes, it is absolutely has... the kind of thing that Freddie Mercury would have worn. And if that was the yes. um, if that was the idea, if that was the homage, right. I am here for it. Right. 
And to also take it back to my so-called life, that is also a Ricky Vasquez original. <laughs> I feel like had his if he became a fashion designer, like he promised he would one time, then that's what he's making. I feel. I just pulled yeah. up the Samuel Bayer Wikipedia page just for reference, and he like a lot of the big ones were like the No Rain Blind Melon video. That one was his. Oh, sure. Jesus. Bullet with butterfly wings by the Smashing Pumpkins. He oh. was smells like Teen Spirit. I was right about that. Um, Stupid Girl by Garbage, Only Happy When It Rains. All the like early, that first album for Garbage was his. My Favorite Mistake by Sheryl Crow. It's just like so, mm-hmm. so, so oh much. Oh my God. And he has such a distinct aesthetic. It's all vaguely post-apocalyptic. Yep. It's all washed out, super saturated colors. Yep. And there's always someone being anxious in a tank top. Uh, like always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the style. That was the style. Yeah. <laughs> Anxious and sepia-toned yeah. in a tank top. Yes, very much. <laughs> well, I feel like I want to just also take a moment to say that all these years later, obviously Dolores O'Riordan has died, which is and like so many other people from this era. It seems like she died in uh, a haze of depression and substance yeah. abuse. But she created a body of work that, I think is still very, very exciting to listen to. And I think has really stood the test of time. I feel like Linger, Dreams, and Zombie are still songs that you hear. Oh, absolutely. Especially because Zombie got remade by a rock band last year. Yeah, time. almost in tribute, right? And I yeah. remember, well, I guess going back to the three of us sort of talking about how, like, you know, experiencing the cranberries in somewhat isolation at least. But then when Dolores died, which was I think early 2018, right? It wasn't that long. It was about a year ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Being on Twitter that day and seeing how many other people she was special for, and it wasn't just me, was like incredibly eye-opening and gratifying and sort of, you know, it was moving, I think, to see that like, oh, right, all these other people were having these experiences with her music as well. And she meant as much to them as she did to me. And that was, that yeah. was a lot. Yeah. It, it was right. funny. Cause I was in the, um, talk songs, Twitter timeline. And of course you're, you're seeing a lot of discussion of it there, but then going into my other Twitter timelines, like for tomato nation and for the blotter even. Yeah. And it, it was everywhere, no matter which timeline I selected. Yeah. And it was like, huh? Okay. Because I feel like that hadn't been a topic of yeah. discussion. Yeah, she had definitely gone away in terms of not like they had kept making music, but like in terms of being in the spotlight, she had gone away for quite a while. Yeah. But you know what? It's it, it, This is a reminder that, of course, this was before the Internet. So no, we would never have felt like we were in isolation listening to Dolores O'Riordan had the Internet True. existed. We would have known that we were the only people in our right. neighborhoods. But there were people they were. But we were representing our neighborhoods in right. a vast I was the thing. representative at and the conference so, of uh, the Cranberries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I am representing uh, East Brainerd, <laughs> Chattanooga. Um, thank yeah. you. But, you. But, you know, how nice to realize, like you just said, Joe, that all these years later, when she died, it was like we all sort of peeked our heads out of the curtains and said, I've been here the old, I, I've been here all along practicing the accent. You're gonna have to <laughs> sing now. You're gonna have to sing now. Now you just sound like a leprechaun like, poked out of his little like leprechaun hole and was just like <laughs> listening to Dolores this whole time. Oh. 
Oh shit! Yes, apologies to all people <laughs> of all backgrounds from and descended from Ireland uh, for the terrible accent that I just inflicted upon you. Um, does anyone else remember that blog from? And I'm talking like Web point five. Um, I forget the name of it, but it was like it was like Brick Show or something like that. And it was basically Tumblr didn't exist, but it was basically a Tumblr of the many many band photos that were taken in front of brick walls in the early. Oh, to mid-90s. that's yeah. a great idea. I don't. Remember do you that, remember? Yes. Do you remember this? Um, listeners, if you I know remember, what I'm talking I re- about, I think it still exists, um, certainly in the Internet Archive, but I think it was moved to a Tumblr at some point. If you know what I'm talking about, hit us on Twitter at TalkSongs, because I remember thinking when Dolores passed that I was like, I would like to spend an hour or two like sort of leafing through. And I mean, it really is a, a bounty of early 90s delights everyone has the floppy dawson hair and the perfectly <laughs> glasses and the very pale 550 levi's and it's it's really a time capsule so yeah um that was how i wanted to honor dolores i'm not sure she would have cared for that but um <laughs> if if anyone can find that for me reach out also, we only really barely touched on the lyrics, but I, in doing my research for this, I read something about how the lyrics for this were about her sort of thorny relationship with the British press, which mm. I can't find it in the lyrics myself as I'm like listening to it, but like there's interpretations abound. I think when Sarah, you were talking about sort of that uh, late night drunken haze self-flagellation thing like that makes a little more 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 sense to me in terms of the way i experience the lyrics but right which i mean they could both be true right getting a lot of clip from the press i will also say that um i prepared this episode right after having watched the most recent a star is born and there may have been some bleed (laughs) in terms of my uh, sure how I was experiencing any lyrics and right. also joy or the yeah. lack of singing. There may have there may have been some leakage on the front of your oh, khakis, if you God. will. God, or on the front of Dolores's but, delightful American <laughs> jumpsuit. I, I just I just want to go back to these lyrics because when I say that I didn't understand them, here are all of the when I looked at the lyric sheet in preparation <laughs> for this episode, here are all of the lyrics that I had correctly understood. The words ridiculous thoughts. <laughs> uh-huh. And the phrase, you're going to have to hold on. Yeah. Otherwise, it was I was wrong on everything else. Okay. Because I always thought it was ridiculous. Thoughts are how already wrong. We get along. Nope. <laughs> that wasn't at all what she was saying. Now, is it I tried so hard or I cried so hard? I always because thought it was I think cried. I think, I think it's actually tried. Amazing. But if it's not cried... I think my whole um, my whole sort of theory of the narrative here doesn't work anymore. Well, the the the, the lyric site that I looked at says cried, but internet lyric sites are notoriously prone to error. Sc- excuse me, so, while I kissed this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but I, I mean, this song to me is a pure distillation of the sound of music affecting me without the lyrical component which is very counter to what i usually talk about on this show but because i truly had no idea what the fuck was going on but i was still like yeah and i used to also (laughs) put on some plaid pants because it starts with she says twister (laughs) twister oh like that thing and 
I was always like, oh, what a metaphor for like a person. Just like they're, they're a twister. They're a tornado. They sort of blow through your life and whatever. And now I'm thinking if it's about the press, she's just basically being like, you twisted my words. And it's just like, oh, it's as literal as you can be? Okay. All right. Oh, <laughs> shit. God, I didn't even think about that until right now. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just going to. I'm just going to refuse to interact with that yeah. interpretation. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I like the cyclone way better. Yeah, me too. Or you could just come over here where I live and be like, I think it's just about someone being in Coet. Great. Remember when that Tori Amos song was nah, on nah, the nah. Twister soundtrack? Not to tangent us one more time, but like. Ooh, Tallulah That was remix? always so strange <laughs> BT- to me. I was like, that song has nothing to do with your little quest for chasing down tornadoes. I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> But they called it BT's it was Tornado, BT's tornado Mix. mix. I had the album the where that was the version of Tulula on the album. <laughs> Wild. The 90s were great, Yo, you guys. guys. What does Bono if, say? If there, if there is anybody out here listening to this podcast who thought maybe they were the only ones who had immediate access to the name of the remix <laughs> of Tulula, don't worry. We got you. you. We got you. If there was anyone else out there who was worried that they were the only one who had a memory of going alone to see the Cranberries in a club, girl, yeah, we got you. We do. Come over here. We're having a conference every week, and you're invited, Irish accent or no. Yeah, and you can bring Bono as long as he agrees not to tell us what to do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. To become a supporter and producer of the podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastass. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.